Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Break with expert analysis and exclusive content from the World Snooker Championship. On this episode, we talk about a record for the Rocket, the longevity of the class of 92, and I speak to a self-confessed underachiever, Kurt Mathlin. He talks gestures, nicknames, and his chances of success at the Crucible. Don't forget to subscribe to The Break wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget as well that it's Eurosport and eurosport.co.uk for all the live action from the Betfred World Snooker Championship until the 16th of August. I'm Rachel Casey and I'm joined on this episode by the former Grand Prix and Shanghai Masters champion Dominic Dale and Eurosport commentator Mr Phil Yates. Lovely to have you with us, uh, fellas. Dominic, what have you enjoyed the most about the tournament so far? The commentating. Um, I wish I was obviously up in Sheffield um, playing, but it's been a pleasure working for Eurosport and doing all the commentary. I've enjoyed so many of the matches. Didn't expect Ronnie to perform so uh, well and win so comfortably, but um, I'll just... I love snooker. I'm a player, aren't I? We all love snooker. And anyone listening to the break, I'd imagine they're they're pretty keen on it as well. Um, we mentioned Ronnie. We'll be talking an awful lot more about Ronnie. But what about yourself? What stands out so far, Phil? Welcome. Well, Judd Trump had a good workout on day one. That was interesting. I think uh, Ding Chun Wei's match against Mark King was so dramatic. It really was a nerve-wracking match right to the death. But for me, the highlight so far has been the excellence of O'Sullivan. He was superb in beating Tepchara Nu 10-1. Rapido. Rapido indeed, dominating Teb Chai completing a 10-1 win and setting up a match against Ding Zhongwei in the last 16. The whole match lasted just 108 minutes, the quickest ever crucible victory. I play with a lot of speed and accuracy and I think sometimes that can be quite off-putting for your opponent. I always feel like I'm at my best when I'm playing quicker. I don't want to get too fast. I think 13 seconds is a bit too quick, you know, so I, I, I try to play, be a bit conscious today to think a little bit more on certain shots but then try to flow as well because I always think I'm, I'm at my best when I'm playing a bit quicker. Dominic, you're a snooker player. Are you at your best when things are flowing? You're taking little time on shots? Yes, to a degree. Ron is right there. 13 seconds is a little bit quick, even for him. But, you know, he's going to be coming up against other players throughout this event that are going to put him under more pressure than Tep Trier did. But yet, when I, whenever things get close and the pressure's on, you do slow down. And, and players never play at their best when they, they're a little bit hesitant. So I think Ron has had a good work out there. His scoring is fantastic, but he is going to find it a bit more difficult as the tournament progresses. When he plays players that are going to make it difficult for him, when he's going to have to create his openings. 
It was just speed, like lightning, and the quickest ever Crucible match. I know you love your stats and all of that, but 41 minutes quicker than the previous record. Incredible. It smashed the record. Of course, Dominic knows all about Ronnie and how he can win matches quickly. I recall a, a Northern Ireland Open semi-final many years ago where you played, Ronnie. He beat you 6-0 in under an hour. That's what he can do to anyone. Yeah, he did something similar as well against Ricky Walden, but I'll never forget that match because I, I was absolutely, totally and utterly humiliated. Even the mark, you know, Jan Verhaas sort of had his head in his hands. We, our eyes sort of met and he just shrugged his shoulders to, as if to say, you know, what can you do? And in my case, nothing. <laughs> well, humiliated, but uh, Dominic Dale, of course, has beaten Ronnie O'Sullivan. 28 seasons as a pro, the pair of you. And you first played each other in 1993, but it was 2019, the World Open in China, that you finally won against him. You must have been delighted. Well, I was, you know, I thought at the time it might be the start of a brilliant career for me but um, <laughs> yeah I mean listen when you go to China the tables out there the way they play with the humidity that they're, they're not easy and I know Ronnie doesn't like traveling and there was conjecture among the players whether they'd even go there so when I went there I, and I practiced and it's always a pleasure and an honor to play Ronnie and so I, I thought well I can beat this guy you know it's been a few years since I played him normally when I play Ronnie I'm playing Ronnie and I'm not playing the balls or you know all the occasion I'm playing the man do you I, fancy winning against him because I know I did that then. there are some players on tour that have said no I never fancy beating it well you shouldn't because if Ronnie plays at his very best he doesn't really lose to anybody but I didn't think he'd be playing at his best there because the conditions wouldn't be easy and I went to China thinking I could beat Ronnie O'Sullivan as long as I'm not playing the man and luckily for me it's been a few years since I had played him and I wasn't playing the man and I, and I won Dom's my pal he knows where I'm coming from here. It derailed a lot of plans because, of course, O'Sullivan needed points to qualify for the Coral Series, the World Grand Prix, the Tour Championship, the, the Players' Championship. He wasn't entering an awful lot of tournaments, so he needed a deep run in that event, and Dominic deprived him of that. So I think it derailed a lot of people's plans, let alone Ronnie's. It was a different experience uh, on that occasion, and I think lots of players, you know, even Tep Chai, we were talking about the time he did beat Ronnie. Ronnie just about took his coat off for that match. But with you, Dominic, can you remember after beating him and thinking, right, I've conquered the rocket, what happened in Scotland, in Glasgow? Yeah, well, I was working with you guys here for Eurosport on the UK <laughs> championships unfortunately I hadn't touched my cue for about two weeks I was hoping Ronnie wouldn't go to Scotland but yeah I remember I, I practiced the night before I could not pot a ball and I thought my god I better get the next train home but um, I did I, I went 3-1 up on Ronnie because he blasted the black and the cue ball off the table when it looked like going two all from I nowhere just, sorry to interrupt but I just want to say anyone out there wants to look up that clip oh, your face <laughs> is priceless when he just smashes the black well I just thought why <laughs> I remember looking up at the uh, the Sky Studio and looking at Jimmy Why I thought why did he play that shot does he want to win? I mean, he's just given me 3-1. But then he played three tremendous frames and beat me 4-3. So there you go. Game over. Uh, right, well, Ronnie O'Sullivan is through and we're going to talk about veterans coming up, of course. Mark Williams and John Higgins both into the last 16. Let's hear from the two of them, starting with the Welshman. You know, during lockdown, has made my mind up. I'm never, ever retiring from snooker. I'm going to play until I drop off the tour. If I get wild cards on in the seniors, whatever, I'm never retiring. If I'm just going to enjoy it, I mean, if I never win another tournament, then I, I can't argue with, with what I've done. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep trying every tournament and see how long I can stay on the tour for. I mean, 
it'd be interesting to see where I am in five years' time when, if I reach 50 if I'm still on the tour. No, no still, it's still great to be involved and still great to be playing to a decent standard. But as I said, after all these years coming, it's a pretty surreal experience when you're, when you're walking out there and nobody. It's a lot a lot better than when we played the Tour Championship. Now that was behind closed doors and there was no seats and it was just... That, that wasn't that wasn't the best but when you come here now it's still the crucible it's still the seats you still look up you see the lights it's still the crucible so you still do get it but I, I still get the nerves put it that way and once again the class of 1992 will be revisited as it has been so many times the year that snooker opened up it didn't matter who you wore if you had the money you pay the entries and you play in all the events and they played all the qualifiers in one block a huge hotel in Blackpool called the Norbrick Castle. And it was here we saw the first appearances of Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins and Mark Williams. And 28 years later, all three of them, they're still going strong. It really is amazing. I was there for a lot of those qualifiers over the summer of 1992. Ronnie O'Sullivan burst onto the scene like you would not believe. He won his first 38 matches, which remains a record in ranking events. Some of the opposition was inferior. Some of it was pretty good. It didn't matter. He won. In the end, he played 76 matches that summer and won 74 of them. He was a surefire hit. You knew full well he was going to be a superstar from the first match he played. John Higgins, a lot of potential. We'd all heard about how good he was. It wasn't quite so certain he was going to break through, certainly attain the heights he has done. And the same with Mark Williams, but you knew there was a lot of potential there. Uh, O'Sullivan, though, top of that 92 class at that time. And I think perhaps earlier in the season, Dominic, we may have looked and thought that mm, these guys, none of them have have won a ranking tournament this season. Maybe we're going to be seeing the end of the class of 92, but yet... we look at the last 16 of the Crucible and, and all three of them are there again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John Higgins has been to the last three World Finals. Um, they're just such great players with a wealth of experience. You can never count them out, uh, particularly in the World Championships. They're going to be you know, right on it. They'll practice hard. They're just too good. I mean, they can roll out performances uh, and if they can play sort of 80, 90% of their best, which they tend to do, it's normally good enough to defeat most of the players that they come up against. 12 world titles between the three of them, all three of them, you were thinking with the chance. And really refreshing to hear from John Higgins saying that when you come back to the Crucible, there's no crowd, there's no fans. He looks up at the ceiling, he sees the seats, he still absolutely loves the place. And he actually took a bit of time to warm to the Crucible, as we well know. And similar, Mark Williams, who of course has, has won the title three times and now he's never going to retire. Finally, he's in love with the game again. Well, it's really good to hear Mark Williams with a positive attitude again for a large number of years now and he's a really good pal of mine Mark I think the world of him but for a large number of years now he's a very positive person in general but towards snooker he's been a bit of a whiner to be honest now I think he's seen the light of course when he was a youngster he went down the coal pit with his father and that made him realise that playing snooker for a living is a much preferable way of earning a few quid in his case millions of pounds to having a job like that and I think He's just come to the realisation that he's a very lucky man. Lockdown, uh, seen the penny drop with him. And I think we'll see Mark do pretty well. He's got a really good attitude again, both off the table and on it. Yeah, and no, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's, it's a case, you know, during these awful times that so many of us have been able to, to take stock. And, you know, 
it's not the worst job in the world, is it, being a snooker player, Dominic? No, it's not. I mean, I've fallen in and out of love with the game over the years. I've pr- probably been guilty of not putting the hours on the practice table, uh, certainly enough to compete with the very top players. But yeah, I'm, 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 in, I'm in a similar position, really. I've lost about over a stone in weight. And I'm thinking, you know, I've had that sort of three months basically off season through not playing and um, I feel rejuvenated now and I want to be a snooker player again. So Good. I'm not going to retire either. OK, well, that's wonderful. And lucky guys. Uh, and we're talking the class of 92. We, we talk about it so often and we talk about the three fabulous players, Higgins, Williams and O'Sullivan. I mean, you were one of the graduates from that year. So many great players, Dominic. Yeah, I mean... The game had gone open the previous year and you had to pay a lot of money to be a professional. Anybody could. You had to pay £750 to be a member of the World Snooker Association. From now, you just pay a top-up fee of 100 And you had to pay about £2,000 to enter all the ranking tournaments. And you should go up to Blackpool and play four matches in every tournament in blocks. And then the next band of seeds would come in. It was tough. You used to see card schools and drinking in the bar. But when the top seeds came through, that all stopped. And, you know, you knew who the serious players were who wanted to progress and do something in the game. It's a, it was a period of our professional careers we'll never forget. It was most unusual. Well, long may they reign, the class of 1992. Now, let's continue with uh, some other stories uh, from the Crucible. We saw on day three the introduction of canned applause. John Higgins said he liked it at the Crucible, but it came as, well, something of a surprise to the Rocket. I wish you'd have told me because as it happened, I thought there was like I thought the building was falling apart. I thought we've got COVID nineteen, and all of a sudden the crucible's about to uh, get imploded. You know, um, I thought what's going on backstage there? And then he said to me, well, "It's just a uh, fake crowd noise." I was like, "All right, cool." Fake crowd noise. Did it sound like fake crowd noise? Were we fans, Phil? I'm a fan of the idea. I just think it was very badly recorded when it first started out. I think Phil Studd said it best on commentary. It sounded like it had been recorded in a toilet somewhere. I think they need to improve the sound quality, but the actual principle, I'm fine with it. Um, I, 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 great odds with you there, Phil. I, I can't stand those canned applause. I think it's, it is poorly recorded. That's part of the problem. But to me, it's, just, it's like some sort of 1970s sitcom. It doesn't belong. It doesn't work. So not a fan. Absolutely not, Rach. (laughs) John Higgins, just finally on this, and, you know, we're going to be talking about the lack of fans. Sadly, it will still pop up all the time. He thought that he liked the seats. He liked to see the seats, whereas I think the Tour Championship, when they were covered over, maybe it looked a little bit better on on TV. But for the players, you know, John Higgins saying, no, I, I, I still feel like I'm at the Crucible. I've had the great good fortune to commentate on all three tournaments since the lockdown. The Championship League was the first one back, then the Tour Championship, both of them at Milton Keynes, and now this. To be honest, I've forgotten the crowd aren't there. I'm so immersed in the action. Now it seems the norm to me for no crowd to be there. Obviously, from a player's perspective, it's different. I thought at Milton Keynes they did a fantastic job. You couldn't see any seats, so you didn't really consciously think about the crowd. But, of course, Higgins... He's been a a veteran of the Crucible, countless matches. He knows what's going on out there and he just wants to be there and looking around and reminiscing about all of these glorious moments. I know, and it's weird, as he said, you know, Ronnie came out and I could see uh, John Higgins and Matthew Stevens both looking at each other thinking, well, Ronnie's coming out to silence. it's, It's obviously never, ever happened before. But listen, that is the way it is. Let's get on to some snooker, proper snooker. And we saw Neil Robertson beat Liang Wenbo by 10 frames to five. After his match, he gave his performance a B. How would you rate it? 
About that, yeah. He missed a few balls, but of course he started off in absolutely fantastic fashion. A 140 break in the first frame, which was the highest jointly Highest break in the first frame of the Crucible ever. Stephen Hendry had a 140 in his first frame against Ronnie O'Sullivan in their 2008 semi-final. So off to a flyer. Made another century as well a little later on in the first session. Tell you what, though, at 5-5 it was looking dodgy, but then Robertson pulled away. You know, I always thought under pressure, Liang, his technique might break down, and ultimately it did, particularly in the 13th frame. He looked like pulling back to 7-6 behind. Missed that block off the spot, and from there his challenge melted away. Neil Robertson, big player for I you, Dominic. L- yeah, I love watching Neil Robertson play. One of the greatest curists this sport's ever had, along with someone like Ding Zhuhui. That ramrod straight key action. But hey, you know, I think growing up in, in, in Ding's case, China, Neil's Australia, they don't have that amateur career behind them, playing players that know everything about the game. That's something the British players had. And for me, sometimes he doesn't have that sort of ring craft. My only criticism of Neil Robson is that other players can dictate their style of play and force their style of play on him. And all of a sudden, he's not the sort of Neil Robson we normally see. He's not the attacking great Potter break builder that Neil Robson is so dangerous with playing that sort of game. I mean, for, for, for one, I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, but I think I've got a winning record over Neil. Well, I don't think that should be the case because he's in a different league to me. Mm-hmm. OK, I'm definitely blowing your own trumpet there Dominic but uh, he's such a fine player and just the way he glides around and I think the fact that you mention him with Ding you know overseas players they're just so successful and amazing actually without their life their family all of that what they have managed to achieve in the game we're going to have to roll it on Uh, David Gilbert the first seed to fall as Kurt Mafflin beat him 10 frames to 8 a terrific player Dave Gilbert Um, I'm sure he'll be disappointed but what a match between the pair of them it really was, and I'm not surprised because they are silky break builders both. Six centuries, that's the first time we've seen that in the first round at the Crucible ever. And at one point, they had four consecutive centuries to each. It was high quality, and in the end, it was really dramatic. Mafflin coming through 10-8 on the pink. So Dave Gilbert becomes the first seed to go home. Mafflin now plays Higgins. I think Higgins is a big favourite, but I would not discount Kurt Mafflin's chances of at least running him close. I'll ask Dominic about Kurt Mafflin after we hear from the man himself. He told me earlier that he is happy to be safely into the last 16. Yeah, I'm delighted. You know, it was a really good game between Dave and myself yesterday. The standard was, was high and there was a lot of breaks in there. So, yeah, it was a really enjoyable match and I hope, uh, I hope a lot of people enjoyed watching it. Well, we, we definitely did enjoy watching it on Eurosport. Were you coming in as a qualifier thinking, I can... I can maybe win this. I can win the World Championship. You know, when do you start believing? When do you start thinking about actually lifting that trophy? I I, I don't know. I sort of started believing you can do it once you get through the last qualifying game. And I got through that game, you know, pretty comfortably. Matt Selt struggled pretty much all day, but uh, I was quite solid. And I just, I felt like I've been getting better and better uh, lately. So, you know, I felt felt good and comfortable yesterday going into that game. Our pal Jimmy. Jimmy Weiss, he's always bigging you up and he uh, bigged you up big time on the, the first podcast. And you're, you're a dark horse, according to him. But I hear you're doing the rounds, your preparation is so much different, you know, the amount of practice that you've managed to get. Yeah, I mean, obviously me and Jimmy go back a, a, a long way now. He's one of my best pals and um, we, we've had a few games together over the last few weeks. You know, he was he was playing really well as well. I, I was expecting him to qualify. But yeah, going back to what you said about going doing the rounds, yeah, I was playing Jimmy, played Neil Robertson, 
Kyron, Bingham. So the preparation going into the Worlds this year is probably the best it's ever been. And I probably wouldn't have done that if it wasn't because of the quarantine and this COVID situation. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise, really. I think the practice held me in good stead yesterday against Dave as well because, you know, he didn't play his best game and I didn't play my best game. It was a good, solid standard. And uh, it just I just felt comfortable all the way through. And I think that's what practice really does for you. Yeah, you looked a little bit uncomfortable when you um, broke down on that 147. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, that's, that's gone viral now. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, I know. The gesture I made, um, yeah, there was no, there was no harm meant to any, anything any, or anyone apart from the cue ball. I just felt like I really, I really gave it all in that break and I really fancied making it from uh, as early on as like 32. I, I had that in my sights and just felt like I was a little bit unlucky on the 13th black where I've nudged the two reds and the pink and didn't really land on the red properly. It was a really tough cut back on the red, managed to pot that. And if I just missed the yellow with a white, I'll probably give myself a good chance on the black and really fancy clearing up. So that was a little bit annoying, yeah. It was. It looked very annoying. And uh, I thought, like, after giving the, the cue ball the full treatment, we saw a lot of tweets. You say, <laughs> it, you say it went viral. I saw that Rob Milkins actually put a, a tweet out. He said that it's easy to forget with the gestures when there's actually nobody there. It, it may have just yeah. been something you might have done a practice and without the crowd there, you know, it could have been a different story. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have done that with a the crowd there yesterday. But at the same time, and that split second, I just really wasn't thinking. And I just, uh, you know, I just reacted towards the cue because, like I said, there's not many people that have made, made a 147, let alone at the Crucible. And, you know, it would have been nice to top that game off with a 147. You're born and raised in South London, but uh, you've made the move to Norway and a move that has been so well supported for, for many years. Uh, the fans and, and everyone has really got behind you there. Yeah, the, you know, the fans out there and people that follow me, they're great. a great bunch of guys. They follow, you know, every shot, every point, whether it be on live score or Eurosport or Eurosport player. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to say a massive thank you to them. They've, uh, I've had so many tweets and messages and, you know, of those guys. It's, it's unbelievable what a little country like Norway with like five million people, there's a lot of, uh, interest, especially when I'm out and about on, on the snooker circus and, and, you know, playing on TV and they'll put my game on in front of someone like, uh, you know, I don't know, one of the other players who are playing a higher seed, they'll put my game on, obviously, because I'm flying the flag for Norway. So, yeah, no, it's really good. It's great. That's been brilliant uh, for you and to have that support. And, you know, obviously, I know that uh, you've been so well regarded by your peers, you know, and anyone that knows snooker, you're always a name that, that comes comes up, really. And maybe a lot of them think that you should have been maybe a world champion, maybe even years ago. Yeah, I think, you know, myself included, I definitely think I've underachieved quite quite heavily. Like you say, a lot a lot of the top guys around the tour, they you know, they know me well and, and know what I'm probably capable of. So hopefully now over the next few years, uh, it'll be my time to shine. This could be your time. And I'm gonna just go yeah. back to the, the tweets I've been, been been eyeing up and Alfie Burden, well he's always busy tweeting, isn't he? We all we all love Alfie, but he's always he got is, yeah. loads to say on there. And uh, he was cheering on Keith last night yeah. please bring us up to speed on that because i know that this keith business has been going around the tour a long time yeah i mean I, I don't even react to anyone else that calls me kurt anymore i don't even look that way keith has just stuck with me now for the last sort of i think it must be about six seven years i played neil robertson on eurosport uh it was in germany one of the ptcs i was three nil down ended up coming back to beating four three but somewhere along that 
I think it was like I think it was three two at the time. Joe Johnson was commentating, and Neil messed up a shot or something, and he left me a chance at a ball. And Joe Johnson said, "It's a great chance for Keith here," and he, so he's got my name wrong, obviously. And that, <laughs> it just stuck like glue. It's just stuck like glue. Ninety-five percent of the talk call me Keith now. Well, if Keith goes on to win the world championship, you're going to have to keep it forever. <laughs> I'll have to, and it's normally Keith from Sweden or something. They won't even say Norway. You know, it's unbelievable. Well, close yeah. enough. <laughs> close enough, close enough. John Higgins next. Yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to that game. You know, I think John's, well, he's one of the best players to ever have picked up a queue. It'll be a great, great experience playing him, especially at the World Championships. Uh, we've only played once before, and that was in China, I don't know, six, seven months ago or something. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that game. I hope I can just sort of produce some of what I was producing yesterday, and I reckon we'll have a really good game. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Kurt Mafflin there, and well, what a great opportunity of a one-four-seven, Dominic. You know how frustrating this game can be. Yeah, well, I was commentating on it. I, I, I thought Kurt Keith. I don't know. I, I didn't know that Keith thing until about <laughs> yesterday. Um, yeah, I, I tell you what, I was so impressed with the way he held himself together. His long game, Kurt, in that match was fantastic. And I know Dave didn't play his best, but I just thought that was because the pressure that was put upon him by Kurt's great play uh, was the reason for that. And he fully deserved his place. And, and Jim is right as a pundit to actually sing Kurt's praises because he's got exactly the right type of game. He's a good attacker, a good safety player, good potter. He's got everything to do well in this tournament. And he's got the temperament as well. We've seen that now. So well done, Kurt. And uh, I wish him all the best. I was texting, or, or his sister, Emma, was uh, texting me from Scotland. She lives in Scotland now. And we were texting each other during the interval oh, and having nice. a great bit of fun. Yeah. Love well, she'll be definitely cheering him on, as they will in, in Norway. And, and so many of his, his friends, you know, on the snooker tour. And as I said there, he's always been such a, a well-regarded player. But he was the first to say, I didn't ask him, did he think he was an underachiever? You know, he, he obviously feels that way. He simply is. His status within the game now is exactly what Dave Gilberts was five years ago. Everyone in snooker knows what he's capable of, but he's not been able to do it yet. I'm really glad he's shown that he's got this skill, this ability on the biggest stage. Can he win the event? Yes. Will he? Probably not. And I'll tell you why. Only two qualifiers have won at the Crucible over the years, captured the title. Terry Griffiths in 1979, when the game was very different. And Sean Murphy in 2005. If Mafflin were to come through, I think it would be the biggest overall shock the game has seen in Sheffield. Having said you're, that... You're going big there. Oh, absolutely, because Sean Murphy was very, very highly regarded, even though he won it a very big price. Joe Johnson was a member of the top 16 just. Terry Griffiths had got a lot of pedigree, even though he wasn't particularly well-known. It was right at the start of his professional career. For Mafflin to do this, having had so many seasons of bubbling under the top level and then to win the World Championship, that would be... An enormous, a quantum leap. All right. Well, we wish him the best of luck. Phil doesn't think he will be winning it. And we talk about qualifiers. It's always going to be difficult to go on and lift the trophy. Sean Murphy is obviously one of those players that did it. Now, I want to just get your assessment very briefly on his uh, first uh, session, of course, against Nopon Sangheim. Now, he trails Nopon uh, by three frames after the first session. Murphy out of sorts or did Nopon play well? Nopon played very well. But at the beginning of the match, Sean Murphy started it in, in, in fantastic fashion with a great long red, made a decent break. 
and he won the first frame very comfortably. Then in the second frame, whilst on a break of 67, misses a most rudimentary red into the bottom right-hand corner pocket. And Nopon Sengham makes a winning clearance to steal the frame from Sean Murphy, make it one all. And for about three or four frames after that, Sean was really struggling and Nopon went from strength to strength and he fully deserves that 6-3 lead. So Thailand's number two in the driving seat in that one and also on day four... We finally saw Yan Bing Tao get over the line against Elliot Slesser. I was so happy to see Elliot Slesser go out there, prove that he is an excellent snooker player because yesterday everything that could go wrong did go wrong and it was really horrible for him to, to see him go through the pressure and really melt. What they call the Crucible Theatre, the Theatre of Dreams. For Slesser in the first session, it was the Theatre of Nightmares. He was appalling, let's face it. Today, though, a lot better. He made a century on his debut at the Crucible, which is always a, a feather in the cap. And when he was 9-2 down, I gave him no chance. At 9-7, I thought, well, maybe he could pull off the joint most miraculous comeback in first round history because Nigel Bond was 9-2 down when he beat Cliff Thorburn, I think it was 26 years ago now, 10-9. Slesser didn't quite do it. Yan Bingtao will be very relieved and of course his reward is a best of 25 frame match in the last 16 against Judd Trump which begins on Thursday. Looking forward to it and I'm sure he will be as well the second player from China to of course uh, progress to the uh, last 16 and just a quick word on the debutants because you know there has been a lot of chat about the, the environment and the, the unique situation we have, they're deprived of that real dream. You know, you, you just want to be at the, the crucible. You become you come there as a debutante and it's not really what you ever wanted or expected, is it, Dominic? For them, they're in a sort of a, a big environment with nobody there. It must be really weird for them. But you're right. I mean, when you play at the crucible for the first time and you walk down those steps and the audience are cheering and clapping you, it's a fantastic feeling. I mean, it's not one for demophobes, I can assure you. If you've you've got any fear of audiences and things like that, it's going to be tough because you're in the lion's den there playing at the World Championships. But as you say, Rachel, you know, these players don't have that. It's a weird environment for them to play in something they'll probably never want to experience again. Not at the Crucible Theatre, not there. I know, it's sad really, isn't it? You've got these five guys. Obviously, we've seen Elliot Slesser, Ashley Carty already bow out. But, you know, we've got Jamie Clark, Alexander Ersenbacher uh, still to come. And of course, Jordan Brown. This is a day that they have probably lived through and dreamt about in their minds. It's sad, but we must always remember one thing. By getting here, they've earned themselves £20,000. And in this current economic situation, for those guys lower down the rankings, that is manna from heaven. I think all of them have done really well to qualify. Jamie Clark, in particular, he plays Mark Allen, Jordan Brown, Mark Selby, and, of course, Alexander Ersenbacher from Switzerland. He takes on Barry Hawkins. I gave Rob Walker... Uh, an idea for a nickname for Alexander Ersenbacher. I hope he uses it. The Swiss who doesn't miss. We're recording this episode after the afternoon session on Monday, so make sure you check out eurosport.co.uk for details of what happened at the Crucible in Monday's evening session, including the conclusion of Lazowski and McGill. Still, first round matches uh, getting underway. We've got Stephen Maguire, Martin Gould. Uh, before the next episode of the break, we'll be looking forward to these. Absolutely. You know, Stephen Maguire won the Tour Championship, played beautifully in his first match in the quarterfinals there. Only eight players in that elite tournament. He made six centuries to beat Neil Robertson. That showed what form he was in, and he went on to lift the trophy. But what a tough match it is to play Martin Gould. 
when Gould turned up at the qualifiers, it was conceivable, had he lost his first match, he could have lost his place on the tour. Now, for me, that would have been a crying shame. He's much better than that. But then we saw the draw. He was playing Morocco's Amina Miri, and that was a walkover, let's face it. It was a huge golf in skill. Gould was always going to win, and when he got that performance under his belt, he went from strength to strength. Maguire is favourite, but for me, not by much. Okay, well, he's the form player, I guess, if you look on the Tour Championship when he went in and he trousered the lot. So interesting to see how he will uh, play against Mark Gould. Uh, Quickly on Mark Allen and Jamie Clark. Dominic, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm I'm impressed with Jamie Clark because he's a player I used to know in his days as a youngster in Llanelli. He had this sort of scholarship. He used to play in Terry Griffith's matchroom club. I used to see him there practicing away. I never thought he would achieve the standard necessary to be a professional, let alone compete at the level he is now and he's you know he's doing well he's not going to experience a big atmosphere at the crucible that could help him but the way he played in the qualifiers he's going to be a tough player to beat especially if he starts well and finally before the next episode of the break we'll see Barry Hawkins and the Swiss that doesn't miss now I'm not too sure about that what do you think about the match well I personally think and I thought this before all of the debutants began. I'm not saying this with hindsight, honestly. I honestly thought that Ersenbacker had got the best chance of the five. He's a really, really good player who's been in a semi-final of a world ranking event in the past. Barry Hawkins, yes, has got a really good record at the Crucible over the years. This season, though, he's not been at his best. He could be susceptible. Yeah, I, I think with Barry... Sometimes he worries me. He's not the best front runner I've ever seen in, in tournaments. But sometimes with Barry, he starts the season terribly and only comes good in sort of January. But for me, Barry Hawkins obviously is a favourite, but he needs, he needs to start well and finish well. But Alex Orsenbacher can really put him under pressure. Making history, of course, we wish him the best of luck. The first player from Switzerland to play at the Crucible. Now, it's almost like you're the, the golfers with the highest handicaps because you've been given a chance. We had our tips, our predictions done a little while ago. Uh, Jimmy White and Neil Foles went with Ronnie O'Sullivan. I went with Mark Allen. Uh, Dave Hendon's gone with Mark Selby. So, Phil, it's over to you. Who will be lifting the 2020 World Snooker Championship? I will stick with my original selection. In my mind, it was a choice of a couple of left-handers in opposite halves of the draw. Neil Robertson's had a good season. I really rate him highly. He wants it, and that's a big thing here. But I'll stick with Judd Trump to shatter the crucible curse. I think he came over against uh, Tom Ford as someone who was very determined. He was in crisis at one point in that match. And to get through that round, I think will bolster his confidence. And I really do believe he will beat Yan Bingtao comfortably over best of 25 and get to the quarterfinals. And from there, the sky's the limit. And then we'll never have to talk about the dreaded curse again. He's a class act and I think he's been a terrific champion. What about yourself, Dominic? Who do you think is going to lift the trophy? Yeah, it's tricky. I'm going to bear in mind the fact that there's no massive audience in attendance here and and no millions of people outside the Crucible Theatre clamouring for players' autographs. I am going to go for Judd, but I'm also tipping Ronnie to take it very close. I think Ronnie's got every chance Uh, this year. uh, 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 Yes, 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 yes. uh, Hold on, hold on. One person can lift the trophy. Only one? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, crikey. Go on, I'm going to say Ronnie. You thought it was the World Cup when two people could lift the trophy. <laughs> I thought I had a choice. No. Well, you can have choices, but not on this show. OK, I'll go for Ronnie. I'll go, I'll go for Ronnie. So that's it. Finally then, Dominic tipping, Ronnie O'Sullivan joining Jimmy White and Neil Foles all going with the rocket. Uh, that's it for now. Thank you, Phil. 
Thank you, Rachel. It's been a social distancing pleasure. And Dominic, great pleasure as always. Thank you. It's been an experience. My first podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Break. Thanks to the guys. Please subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice if you can. Don't forget, it's Eurosport and Eurosport.co.uk for all the live snooker from the World Snooker Championship until the 16th of August. We'll be back with more in a couple of days' time. But until then, from Phil, Dominic and myself, it's goodbye and thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.